Broken Movies, Charles hasn't seen episode 53. My name is Crossman. I'm Wilson. And I'm Charles. And this week we watched the 1941 movie Citizen Kane. So Charles, tell us about Citizen Kane. Okay, so uh, in Citizen Kane, well it starts off with Kane dying in his mansion. Porters are trying to figure out his life. And they decide that they want to figure out what his last words meant. Well, his last word is Rosebud. And they think that this will be some sort of insight into his character. So throughout the movie, they ask different past friends and other relationships of Kane about his life, hoping that someone knows what Rosebud is. And they all tell stories about his life as a newspaper magnate and um, attempted politician. And they go through his two marriages but no one seems to know what Rosebud was. The news reporters never find out what Rosebud was, but we find out that it was his childhood sled from before he was taken away by a banker. Right, representing his innocence and childhood that he lost over yes. the course of like building this giant empire and you know losing his soul, right? That's the big, the big fat metaphor in yep. Citizen Kane. So this was my pick. Yeah, loosely based on William Randolph Hearst, right? Yes, which Orson Welles denied. Um, he said that it was a conglomerate of several people, and then Hearst was simply one of them that was partially inspired by, uh, that, that Kane was inspired by. Um, but nonetheless, it actually tracks, in many ways, very closely with <laughs> the life of William Randolph Hearst. Especially the little like newsreel intro at yeah. the beginning of the film, where they are doing like an, a video or not a video, a film obituary, mm-hmm. which most likely would have been played in front of movies at the time. Yes. And... Oh, they played those before movies? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was called a newsreel, and they would... Cause, I mean, because at the time, like, going to the movies didn't mean I'm going to go see a specific movie. It would be like, I'm going to go see whatever happens to be on, and I'm going to just wander to the theater. And, yeah. 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 Like, a lot of the original Looney Tunes were, like, meant to be in mm-hmm. front of, like, a movie. Okay. Yeah. I remember yeah. learning this fact, but I'd forgotten until just now. Yeah, that's that's why trailers are called trailers, because they used to trail the movie. Yeah. They used to be the thing at the end, not at the beginning. I see. So, fun facts. Fun facts. Um, but, yeah, well, this is really uh, almost a biopic about... Uh, William Randolph Hearst, who was in the twenties and before, really it tracks pretty well, the close the timeline tracks pretty well as well. Mm-hmm. Um, was the original yellow journalist. Um, he invented the concept of just you know sticking your opinion into the newspaper and calling it news. Uh, he pushed America into the Spanish American War in many ways. Like he was a huge, huge figure, richer than God, mm-hmm. and uh, it, what he. Th- how how Wells understands his life is a lot of, uh, similar to how many people understand um, Citizen Kane and and Hearst. Uh, so that that's what we see here. Um, but we'll dig into that in a little bit. I'm curious about what you knew about this movie coming in because mm-hmm. Citizen Kane is like the you know when American cinema became a serious art, right? Like that is mm-hmm. that is the moment that this is a, the most important film probably that this country has ever produced. What did you know about it coming in, Charles? Uh, What I knew was that uh, people regard Citizen Kane as one of the best movies ever made. Right. uh, And that Rosebud is the sled. Okay, you didn't know the twist. Yeah, yeah. I've seen like t-shirt designs that have all these famous movie spoilers, and one of them is always Rosebud is a sled. Rosebud is a sled. Did you know what that meant? No, but I mean, as soon as they started the movie, Okay. I kind of backtracked and figured it out and yeah. then like they're taking him away from his parents and he's playing with his sled and I'm like oh there it is okay yeah. so did you know it's, that it was a famous Simpsons yeah where they 
Mr. Burns like he, loses his sled. Yeah, he's <laughs> yeah. frequently Mr. Burns frequently tracks with Charles Foster Kane. Yeah, in The Simpsons, they have that moment. There's his, a, like castle house. Yeah, his castle house looks very similar to the uh, Xanadu. <laughs> Which sounds so silly now. Um, there's a there's a scene where he's dropping the globe on the ground in The Simpsons that is just like the opening scene here, um, and the song that that they scene have. I've seen too. It's a famous sequence. Yeah, yeah. There's many, many. I think movies. even in the episode with the sled, he's like taken away from his sled, and someone yeah. like tries to run after, it and they're like, "No, the symbol of your childhood innocence." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just really puts a pin on it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the, another movie like many that we've watched that is frequently. Uh, parodied and referenced uh, throughout popular culture, and just specific shots that are really famous as well. Um, we one, have one thing I thought was funny was they've used the scene of him clapping at the opera yeah. as a reaction gif a lot online, yeah. and it's kind of changed my feeling or context seeing that gif. Now that I know what the actual movie context of it mm -hmm. is, I just find that kind of amusing. Yeah, because like, um, I guess to summarize the scene, he's clapping in a kind of forced way because he's been forcing his wife to sing the opera but she's terrible at it uh, and he's trying to like legitimize his obsession right well and get other people to clap i think right. is the part of it right like he wants them to know that he's powerful if he's clapping they're clapping too yeah. so they better be or else he's going to fire them and that that's what i think that scene is about and like kind of right. puts an insidious tone to it right um, but usually the the reaction gif is used to just be unironic clapping in a way to right. like celebrate something that's been done really well and so it's kind of funny to switch that over now yes yeah, this is the second movie that we've seen where new york girl with nasally accent is <laughs> not good at singing yeah well, what, what's the first one you're thinking of remind me uh singing in the rain oh oh yeah obviously yeah well and it's interesting that you bring up singing in the rain because that character uh the um susan Ab is supposed to be Alexander. like the woman in this movie well, Susan Alexander is the person in the movie. The yeah. the person she's modeled after is Marion Davies, who was uh, Hearst's longtime uh, live-in girlfriend, essentially. Mm -hmm. like, he was married his entire life to somebody else, but his real partner yeah. throughout that time was Marion Davies. And she was a silent film star for a long time, famous for her comedies, like, had a following in, in silent film, largely because Hearst was bankrolling her career. And she had a hard time transitioning to, or she feared the transition to sound because she had a stutter. Uh, it wasn't an accent problem, it was a, an actual speech impediment. Um, and she ended up you know, doing it anyway, again, maybe because her greased the wheels a little bit. Mm. But that, that's, again, the, that relationship tracks really closely, evidently, with um, the, as it's depicted in this movie. Uh, so yeah, it's an, she's an interesting character in the way that she's portrayed here is interesting. Um, so yeah, but in any event, did you so did you know that this was essentially a biopic? Did you know it was about Hearst? Did you know that it's about a newspaper guy? No, I didn't know any of that stuff. Really? Okay. Yeah, like I don't know. I thought like based on the uh, political rally scene, mm -hmm. like you see that picture come up a lot. I it's thought Susan Cain might be about some kind of like dystopian future or something like that, something <laughs> 1984 style. Um, that's the kind of feeling I get from that scene, and I haven't seen any of the rest. Of, like, I hadn't seen any other scenes from the movie, Okay. so I had no idea what the context or setting actually was. So how did it play for you, then? Um, the scene? Yeah, no, the movie. How did you like it? Um, the movie, I would say, is one that I can respect, um, okay. but that I don't think I was really pulled in by or that I ended up ultimately enjoying. Bummer. 
Um, but I can see like why people consider it so highly. Yeah. Um, I can see what the movie is doing, uh, like with the cinematography and the storytelling style. And um, Orson Welles, Orson Welles gives an amazing performance. Um, I feel like he really takes over the screen whenever he's there. Um, but I don't know. For some reason, the film just kind of lost my attention about halfway through. That's a, that's a damn shame. Yeah. Yeah. How do, you, how do you feel about the actual experience of watching Citizen Kane? <clears throat> um, it can be a bit of a slog at times. Really? Uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm with Charles. I think that there are good elements to it. Like, the way that it's shot is pretty impressive. Literally revolutionary. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. It's unfortunate that Orson Welles became, like, a raging alcoholic because he's a great actor. Yep. Um, and it was interesting in the film because he's kind of like a teetotaler in the film, his mm-hmm. character. Uh in real life have you have either of you seen the videos of him like trying to shoot the like wine commercial no in like the 70s what is this okay so he's super (laughs) they're they're pretty famous because he's like he's drunk oh yeah he's like totally (laughs) he's totally shit-faced and they're trying to shoot a commercial for a wine um from the 60s this wine will get you this smash (laughs) and he can't remember any of his lines. He's going, like, way off script. And the two other actors in the commercial are, like, trying to, like, hold things together. <laughs> oh, and he's just such, like, a raging lunatic because he's, like, so drunk. And there, there's so many outtakes. And God, it's it's pretty wild. And it's really funny. It's it's sad, but it's, comes, it's, it's really so funny because it's, like... <laughs> things cannot like they cannot hold the commercial together and they're really trying to right well and, uh, and it's this actor that's given you know one of the most iconic performances of all time that like can't get through a commercial now. I, i've heard another funny story about orson wells that was told much better on another podcast i listen i've listened to but i forget which show that is but um apparently he was he's supposed to be in like a tv show or something and just like shoot an episode mm-hmm. and so they like they set up for the day and this is he lived out in like santa barbara which is like a couple hour drive from la mm-hmm. um or at least from hollywood so they set up and they're waiting for him he had like a call time at like 9 a.m and like doesn't show up like 10 a.m rolls around somebody's like okay let's get on the blower to yep. orson wells they get on, he's like, oh, that was today, I'm supposed to come in, and he's like, I'll be there by, by noon, because I'm coming in from Santa Barbara. So, okay. like, 12.30 rolls around, he hasn't showed up yet, of course. and uh, they give him a call, and he picks up again, he's still just at home, and, like, hasn't, <laughs> like two hours away. hasn't left yet, and... It's like the main character is sideways. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. And they were like, well, what... I, I think it's, like... The director or some executive producers like well what like we're all set up like what should we tell the yeah, and have been for the five hours. casting crew crew and he just goes tell them action <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean <laughs> it's just no content and obviously like never ends up showing up of course yeah awesome. yeah, yeah. God, that, that's like some brando shit right there just like being totally disinterested. Brando, in. another person notorious for just being a complete impossible, impossible to, work to work with. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, it's really unfortunate that Wells kind of spiraled in this way because yeah. you can see like what a master he is, and so much of like film language is developed in this film. Just like the way that they shoot 
Kane and how they shoot other characters, the use of like camera angles to so many low shoot angles. high to low yeah. or low to high. Um, they play around depth a lot in this movie. Yes. Yeah, and there's a famous picture where they've like they've like peeled up the board the floorboards of wherever they were shooting to put a camera and a cameraman down in the floor mm-hmm. to shoot mm. up at a character. Um, and so much of this just like use of angle was like developed by Orson Welles and whatever you know director and art. Art, art director he was working with. One thing I'm wondering and, is, did they have green screen at that time? No. Is that something they did? Um, but no. you could use what was called rear projection, which was a technology. There's actually a number of technologies that were developed in like the teens and early 20s to like combine different shots together. Rear projection is the most common one, and what you do is you you shoot a scene um, ahead of time. So they use this in King Kong a lot. Yeah. And um, modern times, I think, that we've seen. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Yeah, so you, you shoot one scene, and then you uh, s- set up basically a, a white sheet and project your previously shot footage onto that scene, and then the actors will act in front of that, and you combine, like, two shots together in, in that way. So King Kong used this to mesh, like, people and the animated dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. So they did, like, the dinosaur animation ahead of time. Yeah. They project it, and then people act in front of it. So when they're, like, in King Kong, they're, like, walking by, the like, quietly by this, like, Stegosaurus. That's how they, like, did, did those shoots together. King yeah. Kong's, like, uses it really masterfully, though, because some... Some of the people footage is rear projected, and some of the animation <laughs> is rear projected. So they had to like do all this like mixing of, mm-hmm. of shots, and that would be very difficult to do. And it's actually like very impressive the way that they've used it. Yeah. So nice. I think they use this a lot with like shots of like the castle or rear projected, or at least um, <clears throat> what's what's the big like mural paintings that they do? Um, uh, you mean like at the in the rally scenes? And- y- no, no, no. Uh, it was a common way to, like, um, particularly to show cities, they'll have, like, a map painting. Oh, oh, that's yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. The, big, like the big establishing shots. And stuff yeah, like yeah, yeah. We use a lot of map painting in this film to, like, mm-hmm. establish place. Yeah, yeah I was yeah. asking because there were a few scenes that showed a lot of depth, and I thought they were impressive, and they looked very complex. But at the same time, you could tell that the foreground looked like it was pasted onto the background, so I wondered if it was like a green screen sort of thing. It had that kind of look to it. It could have been matte paintings, too. Yeah. Well, like, usually in the background, it was actually, like, a scene in motion. So they combined these two scenes that were all operating. Like, I think one of them is when they're on the balcony of the opera. I think that's what it was, and Mm -hmm. they're talking. And then there's the opera, like, kind of rehearsing or assembling or performing in the background. I think that's what the scene was. Yeah, so that could have been rear projection. Um, yeah. But sometimes, with a lot of these films, they just, like, did it. Like, yeah. Okay. Like, a lot of the older films are, like, they just did it real. And this film specifically. Yeah. Right, like, Orson Welles went into this production, like, knowing he was making a big, important movie, right? Like, that was his plan. And, like, he was right. Like, he did make a big, important movie. Um, so, and he, knowing that, like, he did a lot of this stuff for real. Like, you okay. pointed out the uh, camera and the floorboards and, and things like that, but just a lot of yeah. a lot of the techniques he employed. Like, imagine being in 1941 and seeing shots like the, you have the mom and dad talking, and but you can see out the window and see the kid playing outside still. And it's like telling this dual story. Like that kind of stuff didn't happen before that. Like you didn't see that kind right. of that kind I of cinematic language. That scene immediately. Right. Exactly. Very impressed by that. Because you because you, you don't see it in movies from that era anymore. Yeah. Same thing. Like at, at around the same time in the film, 
where you have um, the, the reporter who's doing the investigative research and he's talking to the guy in the restaurant and you have Susan Alexander like in the background, like very small, hunched over at the table drinking on one side of the screen in this conversation with the men in the foreground on the other side of the screen. Again, here's these two narratives commenting on one another at the same time. It, it was a totally novel technique, like mm -hmm. a totally novel style of cinematic storytelling. Um, and like it, it's, it would be very difficult for a movie to come along and change film in that way again. Mm -hmm. Like, Yeah, I was listening to another podcast recently called uh, uh, Champagne Sharks, and they were doing an episode on, like, media. And what they were, they had this, I forget if he's a film critic or just, like, a theorist, but he was talking about how we're essentially on the, like, second or third wave of, like, film copycats. Because sure. right now, like, biggest directors right now are, like, Probably J.J. Abrams has, like, the most power within yeah. Hollywood. Yeah, my like, biggest, you mean powerful, yes. Yeah, in terms <laughs> of, like, control of franchises. And he's aping Lucas and Spielberg mm -hmm. very, very clearly in, yeah. in a lot of his, his content. I mean, he's literally in charge of Star Wars now. Um, and Lucas and Spielberg were just aping directors from the 40s and 50s. Yeah. And... So, like, all this, like, film language that was created around the time of Orson Welles is, like, we haven't really advanced much beyond that. Well, uh, I mean, even yes. with, like, the work that's being done in popular film. Yeah, I mean, but yeah. you can you can do, you can play that game forever, right? Like, to, to say that art is derivative is almost boring at this point. Like, of course it is. Sure. Right? Yeah, I mean, we understand that. It's, yeah. it's just interesting to think that, like, there really just hasn't been much... Like right. invention from this film, <laughs> right? Right. Well, I mean, I mean, when you think of what, or like since this film, what Orson Welles is taking inspiration from, because he didn't, you know, spring forth, <laughs> you know, untouched by the. Yeah, he was like a radio him. drama guy. He right? was a radio drama guy, so he, yeah. I think, he got his drama chops doing that, and mm. it, you know, just plays. Just he famously the scared the shit out of America with the <laughs> War, War of the Worlds. Yes, the live read. <laughs> Yeah, which yeah. is a great story that I think yeah. you know the story, right? That, I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That he he goes into the world, the world's alien invasion story, and treats it like a real, uh, like a real newscast. And people yeah, they actually, did like a radio play, right? And people actually thought it was something real, and that Earth was actually being being invaded by aliens. <laughs> um, so I don't know if anyone got hurt because of that. It feels like it's a possibility. <laughs> Uh, so, but in any event, he cut his teeth on that kind of it's stuff. Like the Russia story from 1930s, like the Russia story, <laughs> like our current freak oh, out about yeah, Russia. Yeah, exactly. yeah, similar to that. Yeah, <laughs> not, maybe not quite as immediate. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but in any event, like I think you can see a lot of these techniques, like we talked about, like these dual storytelling techniques in one frame. You, that's in classic painting, right? Like that's that's in mm -hmm. photography. Like you, if you think of film as this form that takes from every form before it and in a lot of ways it is like it looks like painting it looks like sculpting it looks like plays it looks like music like it, it does all this stuff in one place of course it's going to take inspiration from how those forms told stories right and you, you sure. see those same kind of techniques like a low angle shot to make a guy look bigger and more imposing right mm -hmm. the photography has been, been doing that forever right like making one figure look small in the frame and another figure look big in order to accentuate a difference in power that is a painting technique that's been around for centuries sure. right so yeah we haven't advanced we, we haven't revolutionized film in the same way that citizen kane has and we never will like i'm pretty i'm pretty well persuaded that sure. that's not going to happen i don't think that's necessarily a knock 
on Lucas or Spielberg or Abrams. There's many better ways to criticize J.J. Abrams. Um, <laughs> and being a derivative artist, I don't think is, it, it's a good point. Like it's important that we acknowledge that and know that and understand where these uh, properties and these forms and these films are coming from, but it doesn't make them any less. For the same reason that it doesn't make Citizen Kane any less, just because he like you I know, don't, I don't think world. I was implying that. I okay. think no, no I, like, I didn't think we were either. I just we're wanted... here at like the source. And... Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I didn't. I didn't. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make it sound like you were. I just want to make that point clear because I think some people yeah. would understand it that way, which is a shame. Um, sure. Yeah. So anyway, the, yeah, this this is an important movie, but it it is not something that is just standing on its own. I mean, it's even you look at stuff like. Uh, D.W. Griffith before this, like a lot of the techniques were that uh, Wells uses here were developed in in his films. And same thing with like Fritz Lang, right? Like he's taking inspiration from the German filmmakers and the German expressionists. Yeah, I mean, I, I read the Wikipedia on some of the techniques used in this movie a little bit, so try to gain some historical context to it. Mm -hmm. And it said that most of the techniques used in the movie were not being used for the first time. It's just that they were so expertly combined all into one movie. Yeah. Um, yes. And like... And I guess the most novel thing was that it was the first movie to heavily use flashback as its primary source of narrative. But also the other cinematography techniques, like, they're all combined so well in this movie. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because I think it sometimes gets lost in the conversation where people are talking about how great Wells' performance is, which is great. Like, how much this is a product of him because he wrote it, he directed it, he started it, right? But I think we kind of get lost, like, the complexity of the narrative. In yeah. terms of how it functions temporally, right? Like it, yeah. it's not told in order, like at all. Like it moves around all the time, and it's not just like here's a here's current day, here's flashback, here's current day, here's flashback. You'll have moments where it flashes forward to a time in between where you started and where the beginning of the movie was, mm -hmm. and then go back, and then even more forward again. Like it's it, it's a very complex movie. Right, but they from, leave you little little. Uh, breadcrumbs to mm -hmm. kind of latch on to where the different scenes began and ended. You get yeah. some context based on like how old people yeah. are and their relationships and things like that. Yeah. yeah, and that's kind of one of the amazing things about it is that it it does it plays with that complexity and it plays with its timeline like that, but it's still crystal clear what's going on. We're never confused about how the characters are developing or like what's going on in the story. Um, and that I think is a, a, just a, Orson Welles understanding narrative function and dramatic function, which we touched on earlier, um, thanks to his time with the radio and other movies, obviously. Um, so on that point, the one of the things this movie does at the beginning that I found interesting on this viewing is really lays out the entire narrative within the first 10 minutes, right? Like they tell you exactly what, how this guy's life played out, how it happened, what the beats are, what was important, what he built, how he felt when he died. Right. He lays out, lays out the framework for all the scenes that we're going to be seeing in little pieces out of order. Right. We do see some like additional detail, though, that they don't ever go back to. Like, mm -hmm. there's implications that he was like involved with fascism in Europe. And communism. And, right, like they have the, those yeah. scenes playing off one another, right? That he was he was everything to everybody and he fit into whatever narrative you wanted, right? That he's this titanic figure that is tough to pin down. Yeah, and that yeah. his like first wife died in a car accident, like that Yeah. That never yeah. comes back around. I don't I, think so. I, yeah. I, yeah. I'm like questioning it right now, but I'm pretty sure I don't Yeah, I don't I don't recall it either. Yeah. yeah. So that that was interesting because like when you're 
in the scenes with the first wife you're kind of expecting like a moment where she like storms out and gets in a car and, and that's that and, and <laughs> she, she does dies. storm out and get into a car at one point too <laughs> yeah. right and it's kind of like a narrative trick because you're like oh she's gonna die and then <laughs> like it just never gets to that right well and yeah. i think it it uh, shows the the flippancy with which Cain treated that marriage and treated that woman, right? Like, he didn't respect her at any point, and he never took her seriously at any point, so much so that when she dies, it literally doesn't merit a mention in his, the story of his life, right? And that is, it, it works for me. It's a, it's a quiet commentary on who this guy is. That, that worked pretty well. Um, what do we think about the, the Susan Alexander character? This is the second wife. The, yeah, the more the prominently uh, featured the woman in the movie. I felt really bad for her. <laughs> yeah, I think you're supposed to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. obviously, but... Yeah, I, I mean, I did too. Like, it, it seemed like she kind of got railroaded in this life that she never asked for or, or expected. Yeah. Or yeah how did she introduce her singing? I forget exactly how it was introduced. If she... I'm trying to remember if she just sang for fun and uh, Kane caught on to it or if she, like, actually aspired to be a great singer. It, it felt like... She, what I remember is that they're up in her apartment after they meet on the street. I'm like, have their meet cute. Um, <laughs> and and she, she mentions that she sings and he asks her to sing for him. Yeah. Um, and so it doesn't sound like she has these grand like, a, a, desires to become a great singer. Right. And once she actually gets the opportunity to do it, she doesn't want to. Like, she doesn't. Mm -hmm. that, that's the, the character's arc, really. Um, is that, that Kane is forcing her to yeah. do this thing she doesn't want for really for himself and for his own ego and self-aggrandization. Yeah, he just has to do, do everything to the max, right? Like, to, yes. He's gonna. He's just using his governorship to step stone to the presidency. Mm -hmm. He builds builds the biggest house. Yep. He collects crap, a lot of crappy art, like. Yeah, yeah. I never looks at it or appreciates it or has anything to do with that, right? He he owns yeah. things for the sake of owning them. Yeah, right? and the the film has a lot of funny anachronisms to it, like uh, the fact that like you can get rich by like buying a paper. <laughs> yeah, right. Is, <laughs> no it's, longer true. It's funny. It's yeah. a good way to lose well, a lot. He was of money. already rich to start with. So. Yeah. Yeah, but he made a small fortune by starting with a bigger fortune. It's what yeah. builds his like empire, though, or it's like the cornerstone yeah. of his empire. Yeah, which was true of Hearst. Um, yes, yeah. Well, and uh, really in the same way too, because one of the things that the early part of the movie really draws out, or at least like yeah. the middle part of the movie, is that he's not just a journalist; he's a propagandist. Yeah, really. And the it, and the, but the propaganda isn't for really America or anything. It's just Kane propaganda. It's yeah. for whatever whim strikes him at a given moment yeah or the other funny anachronism is like because of monopoly loss of the time you were limited as to like how many newspapers you could own and like how many radio stations you could own so when they're talking about his empire they're like he owns 11 newspapers and five radio stations across <laughs> yeah. the states and it was like it's such like a yeah compared to now like a school for ants moment like where it's, <laughs> it's like <laughs> right where, where it's now like five companies own everything yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or radio, like one company, like owns everything, right? And nobody cares. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so it, it is uh, how far we've come, right? Um, I do like yeah. that the movie doesn't make him a self-made man, right? Like there isn't mm -hmm. this thing where it's like, oh, he brought himself up by his bootstraps. He was he was born in the woods somewhere and raised by wolves, and he ended up being the the king of the world. His or so, I I wanted to walk through his origin story. So 
his parent his parents essentially like sell him to this like trustee guy. Yeah, it wasn't crystal clear to me. Either. So this guy like manages a trust, and my understanding was they have these like mining rights on their land, and they just happen to have like. I forget if it's like a silver or gold mine. I think they literally struck gold. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a gold mine. And for some reason, they sell the land rights to their land and Kane to this guy. Yeah, I'm not sure how Kane factored into this whole thing. Well, they could. Okay. I'm glad it wasn't the only person. I was like kind of confused by like the step by step. Why would they be selling off their kid for this land? Like, why would this rich guy want this kid to be stuck with him? Yeah. Unless he was being paid for it, which is possible. Um, but the, I think the important part of it is that he, Kane had a big trust set up for him. Yeah. And yes. that's how, he, that's really because how he of like the money. gold land rights. Yeah. And he gets the money, he gets all the money when he's 25. Yeah. Um, and he, and I think his grandfather also happened to own the newspaper, which is like how yeah. the newspaper gets worked into the trust. Right. It was a small paper, right? Like that wasn't yeah. really being run that well or much. Yeah. And yeah. So really all the stuff that made him rich and made him powerful was stuff that he, happened upon by the sheerest coincidence of fate. Yes. Right? Like, it has nothing to do with his own talent or his own ability. It's just he happened to have been born into it. He happened to have a grandfather who owned a newspaper. His parents happened to strike gold um, and, yeah. and set aside a trust for him. Like, it's... It, it, in many ways, it's kind of an American... A very American story in that sense. Yeah. Um, and almost a little, a little subversive, right? Because I think that there are other uh, more conservative, more neoliberal filmmakers that would have rather made a story about a guy who like did it on his own and yeah I think not what this is that's why people like um uh what's the aviator Howard Hughes Howard Hughes and that people really like Hughes because he like yeah he did it he like invented these things and he like was the test pilot for things yeah and yeah and the plane crashed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's part of the appeal of Hughes, but there's a reason that guy's famous, right? Because there's like one dude that has pulled that off. Right? Yeah, and it's and, Hughes. And he was yeah. a lunatic, right? Yeah, he, yeah. Well, he, he suffered from mental illness. Yeah, he, like, he literally went mad or had to be mad in order to to accomplish this kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps American That would be, that would be an interesting movie to compare with this one because I, I think, think it right. has similar topics. Uh, I did see that one, but only back when it was in theaters, so I remember very little of it. Yeah, I, I remember liking it, um, and I think it's, I feel like it's underrated. Like, it doesn't really get mentioned alongside the big DiCaprio-Scorsese collaborations, yeah. mm-hmm. and, and maybe it should, because uh, I remember it being good and not, like, entirely forgiving of Hughes, Right, that's what I recall, which is a good move because that guy did a lot of shitty stuff. Living in LA, his like touch on LA is still like very prominent. I don't like, doubt it. There's still stuff that's themed after him. There's like still buildings that were, you know, that are in use that he built. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, because he, yeah, he had a, it's, it's pretty impressive. He had a major role in multiple huge studios, right? Like, and he made big giant movies. You know, he. Yeah, his influence is real. It's yeah, not, yeah, it's not American just, Airlines or no, it's American ends up buying like Hughes's airline, but yeah. whatever his like airline was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah. It, it's it, kind of a mythical figure. Yeah, some kind of big personality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that you see the influence of Citizen Kane in a lot of those style of movies, right? Like the 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 big man who represents something quintessential about America, who makes it to the top and has a fall, 
Right? Yeah. And that's an old story that which predates film, mm-hmm. really. But I think you see a lot of movies using the same language that you see in... Even in the use of time where you see, like, a young man and mm-hmm. then, like, as things go on... Right, like, so... here's what, what happens. Yeah, like we mentioned yeah. Scorsese. He's done that a couple times um, in some form or another. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, over and over again, you see that kind of narrative. Um, it, and what, what's interesting to me is how it still uses a lot of the similar cinematic language that Citizen Kane uses. Um, and... That that's notable. One, one thing that I found was interesting was that you're just hearing from narrators about Kane the entire way through the movie, mm-hmm. right? So you get the newsreel that's all sensational, and you get all his cohorts talking about him. And it's I guess it's kind of ironic for the guy who pioneered yellow journalism to have mm-hmm. yellow journalism yeah. about him. Um, but what I also find interesting is the only thing we actually hear from Kane himself is Rosebud. And that's supposed to be like the actual insight into his personality, but nobody actually understands it. So nobody yeah. really gets him as a person. Yeah, I mean, because <laughs> he closes himself off, you know, from all the people around him and is unable to connect. I like that very, the explainer scene at the end where like all the staff are like closing up the castle. <laughs> and the one guy was like, Maybe it doesn't mean anything at all. Maybe it's just, uh, you know, the measure <laughs> of a man is, lost. yeah, not yeah. an individual detail. In case, you, in case you guys are dumb, yeah, here's what's going on here. Here's, a, here's what the movie cheesy, means. Kind of fifties, yeah, forties, forty one. I know it's in the forties, but yeah. I don't know why, but it feels fifties to me. Yeah, yeah, and it, it I agree. Like they, it, it did feel that well, way. King Kong kind of, and again, this probably comes out of radio, right? Because like King Kong kind of did the same thing, where they're like. If you didn't get it, <laughs> yeah. beauty, yeah. the beast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, although that's still, we talked about it, but that's a wonky line to me. Um, but it still serves the same purpose. Yeah, where it's no, like, I hear your point. Yeah. If, you, yeah, if you're not still with us, <laughs> like, here's what this is supposed to mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, it, no, I, I, I agree that this... It would have been awesome. I mean, I love, I, I always say this about movies, though, where if they had just, like, cut off all that part of it and like don't even show this the sled going oh you think so yeah don't explain it like don't do it at all i guess that's what tarantino does right where he well i think it's interesting to know that rosebud is the sled you lose i like the irony that none of them find out what it is i like that too i also i mean if you cut it out you lose the metaphor the connection to us in a sense (laughs) right like that whole what the movie's about right and i'm not saying that that would necessarily make it better or worse but you would change it it would definitely change oh yeah for sure that's what tarantino does in pulp fiction right where it's just like they show them reacting to what's in the briefcase but you never find out yeah yeah Yeah, because it's you know, not, not the point, right? Right. Yeah. And clearly, Tarantino's like super influenced by this film, right? Like, it jumps around in time. I mean, who uh, isn't? Right. Yeah, it has like <laughs> kind of somewhat circular stories. There's the rosebud connection to the briefcase. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. Um, we've also, I think, now that since we're talking about rosebud, we've landed on what some people have called the uh, the plot hole in this movie, in that nobody was in the room when he said rosebud. Oh. <laughs> there was no way for anyone to have heard it. Like the nurses rush in after they hear the well, the, the little uh, globe crash onto the floor and the glass break. The like housekeeper says that he heard it. Right, but like that, I, I'm not saying this is a you know, persuasive argument or an important argument. Yeah, but like many people have brought it up. Like that, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Nobody they, was there. They were dusting the hallway like right outside his door. Right, and that's and that's what you, you have to assume, I guess. And like the people that take this argument seriously, who are silly. 
um, would argue like he's the whispers rosebud like you can you can barely hear it when you're sitting in the theater how yeah, now i'm imagining him dying and just yelling rosebud at the <laughs> right <top>. yes exactly <laughs> figure out what this means <laughs> rosebud <laughs> but yeah like a lot of people have brought that up that like they, this movie opens with a huge plot hole that's never explained or addressed again um and i well, no, maybe they saw the film and now... Is that the, the, <laughs> the actual people in the movie yeah. saw the movie? Yeah. yeah. Spaceballs thing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this movie is happening right now. Um, but, yeah, like, uh, uh, which I think goes to show you that people nitpick any movie, <laughs> right? Like, you can, you can find flaws in any movie and, like, what you decide is important should be... Or what you pay attention to should be what the filmmakers are telling you to pay attention to most of the time if it's a purposefully made, mm -hmm. intelligently made movie. Um, which this certainly is. Yeah. Yeah. Also, another thing I thought was funny is that these reporters spend the whole movie asking people what Rosebud meant to Citizen Kane, and they give them they give them all these stories about Citizen or about Charles Foster Kane's life. Mm -hmm. um, but even after gaining all this insight into Kane, at least what his friends thought about him, even after all these stories, at the end they're like, nope, they just throw it behind their back because they didn't find out what Rosebud was. Yeah, it's like now there's no story. Yeah, right? yeah. We can't uh, use any of this. This yeah. this like two hours that we learned about his life. Like, <laughs> I mean, you gotta think they use some of it, right? Like, even if you don't know what Rosebud yeah, is, you, so. there's a story there. <laughs> That's what the movie is. Yeah, but like in the end, it's like they were going, "Oh well, I guess we don't have a story." Right. That's but, the impression I got. Yeah, right. It's just kind of hilarious because they've learned so much about him. Yeah. And they just yeah. ignore it because they have this singular focus. And, yeah. And, and just yeah, that goal, which I think I get again, kind of tells us where we should put our focus, right? Like, even though it does open and close with the Rosebud thing, and, like, that does tie a bow on what the character is about, like, maybe what's really important is all the stuff in between that, the stuff that they actually learn. Like, what we should be really focusing on is what kind of behavior are we, you know, as a country, encouraging and rewarding. And it's this behavior that not just concentrates wealth in the hands of one man who is it's very evidently not appreciating it but it's also destroying him right like it, it the this very selfish behavior that is not concerned with truth that is not concerned with loyalty that is simply concerned with co consumption and acquiring more things He's makes also politically a fascist too well that, I, I'm it's, not, it's unclear but the implications are there yeah i mean he's probably to the right right because well the way that they shoot his rallies is like yeah, that's very, true. Very reminiscent of, although it would have been contemporaneous somewhat with Hitler because it's forty one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm, I'm sure that like had a huge effect yeah. on the film. So, so like the way that they shoot his political rallies are low, looking up at the stage, and behind him is a giant banner with his face. <laughs> yes, on it, and he's running very serious. He's running for governor of New York, and yeah. he. Says clearly that he doesn't have a platform, or that he like won't tell the plans of his platform. Which is yeah, pure fascism. Pure fascism. Yeah. And that, but the one thing that he is going to do is prosecute the opposing party yeah. boss uh, as soon as he is in office. Yeah. Yeah. Again, and pure fascism. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah, are total like vicious sick moves. Yeah. So. Yeah, but that's yeah. true. That's a good read. I think you're you're right about that, and it, it does draw from a lot of the imagery that we see in something like *Triumph of the Wills*, mm -hmm. uh, how it shoots these huge. You mean it's forty-one, right? So they're yeah. super freaked out about what's happening. In, <coughs> Correctly, in, <laughs> yeah, they, they, they should have been. <laughs> and forty-one is 
right when the U.S. about is about to get into the war, right, 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 yeah. right or right before. Yeah, because Pearl Harbor would have been. That's December forty-one, I think. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know when in the in nineteen forty-one, Citizen Kane was released. It was obviously produced the year, at least a year earlier. Probably forty. Yeah, or thirty-nine even. Um, yeah. So yeah, I guess it predicted that that pretty well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting that the film would connect wealth so clearly to like fascism <laughs> yeah i mean i think that's that was a time when you saw a lot more actual leftist activity in hollywood right like there were there were people that, that there there was the red scare but part of the reason there was the red scare is because there really were communists in, in hollywood there really were mm-hmm. co- communists and, and leftists yeah it's active. also the moment of like the great society too where yeah. you just passed medicare and um, social security and yeah. the jobs programs all that stuff so yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's, like, at the top of their mind that, like, all these billionaires did have too much power at the time. Or mi- they were millionaires at the time, but... <laughs> right. Um, the equivalent yeah. of billionaires now. Yeah. 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 And, and yeah. I, it, Roosevelt gets a couple mentions in this movie. That would be FDR. Yeah. And not... And Kane and, and is not treating him favorably, is the suggestion. That, that Kane kind of went after him in his papers. It's not a major plot point, but it, it, is, it is touched on once or twice um which i think supports your point that he is to the right yeah and they're all they're they make references to like how his papers like drag them into what they imply is the spanish-american war which Hearst did well, which yeah. Hearst i thought did. they straight yeah. up said the spanish-american war they, they might have yeah. They did. Yeah. yeah 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 it was not implied it was stated <laughs> um and they, again that tracks with wr hearst Right on point. Yeah, and that's one of the, I mean, that's like the first war that was like really sold on false pretenses where we know now that like there there wasn't a real reason for the U.S. to go into the war in the papers. Like, Did they just sell it to get revenge on the USS Maine bombing? Yeah, but the Maine wasn't actually bombed from what we know today. Or we I don't think, we think that the, the, the Maine, yeah. Or something like yeah, that. and so there wasn't a real thing that was going on and dragged this into a war. Yeah. Okay. Which... Which was a narrative that repeated itself many times since then. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, again, a a war that was sold, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which I I, I think you can see, like, because Hearst, the the actual guy Hearst, uh, tried to block the release of this movie. Like, he wanted, because his wife was involved with the studios and he was giving the studios tons of money, banking a bunch of projects, and he wanted this to be not screened in (laughs) any of their theaters. He, he tried to get the actual film stock destroyed. Not just don't screen this, but actually to get every recording of this movie and destroy it. Yeah. Um, that, didn't, that didn't pan out eventually. The, the non-Hearst publications yeah. uh, bought the ad, or they, they sold ad time to those publications and the movie did screen. But there was a period where it was actually in danger of not being released um, and potentially actually removed from planet Earth <laughs> because of Hearst, because he knew... How I'm surprised he just right. didn't have like Wells murdered or something. Isn't yeah. it the time <laughs> yeah, right. when he could like do that, like yeah. get away with it? Like, jeez, <laughs> how did this happen? Yeah, funny, <laughs> funny car accident. Yeah, um, yeah, he, he did not do that. I um, mean, the movie obviously was released, but he uh, he attempted to actually have it um, have it destroyed. And uh, to his to the day he died, he said that he never actually watched it. That he, he never watched. Never Why watched. Well, he, he definitely watch did. He yeah. lived yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he almost certainly did because he had a screening room in his house. But um, yeah, he, he he knew what this was really about. I mean, he knew how it made him look, I think. 
Um, and I, I, I think if it didn't hit that close to home, he wouldn't have gone after it as hard as he did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, so the, the politics in this movie, I think, are, um, are, are interesting, and I think it does critique... It, it obviously is critiquing the kind of uh, person that Kane is and the system that makes a person like Kane possible. Yeah, or you can kind of just like buy your way to the, you know, right. the, and the not, leadership of the party. And specifically not earn it, right? That he he was born into the wealth and that he didn't do anything himself to to get it other than simply having it. And Yeah, I mean, that's totally still a thing too, obviously, with our current president. But yeah. even in New Jersey, like our current governor just like, or governor-elect. Uh, <laughs> it's, wait, still? I thought he was... No, he starts in a week. Um, okay. But he essentially just bought his candidacy and like funded a bunch of party leaders and, and it's they all backed him. And the way the primaries work, it essentially still smoke-filled rooms. So the room where it happened, right? Yeah. And, and, like, and he is still better than Christie, right? Like that guy. Is, well, yeah, I mean, it's not close. Like that's yeah, Christie's awful. Christie's awful. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that this movie. Pre- I don't know, was prescient and probably also... People still will grovel for Christie, though. They cool. just did the State of the State address. Okay. All these people, even from across the aisle, were like, this is a very dignified exit for Christie. Like, you suckers. <laughs> like, like, this Why? Is, what are you getting this, out of it? This is the perfect illustration of problems with neoliberalism. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And... Yeah. Yes, you're correct. This is the worst... Governor of the state's history, probably in the country's history, or one of the worst in the country's history. Certainly yeah. the worst current. Well, yeah. probably the worst current governor. But he's he's on the list if he's yeah. not. Um, Anyways. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so for uh, returning to the film, yeah. uh, so for a very long time, this was like the consensus number one movie. It was top of the AFI list, top of uh, Sight and Sound, top of the Hugh movies, uh, don't they? Uh, it was usurped as we touched on in a much earlier episode, uh, by Vertigo on some lists. Mm. So I think people are just tired of this being the number I one think film. That, you just, just got to dissent a little bit. Yeah, you know. I think that was part of it. Um, but I don't know. What do you guys think? Like, Should that have happened? Like, How much reference do we pay towards the importance of this movie? Because um, if I'm going to sit down and watch a movie, I'd rather watch Vertigo, if I'm being honest. like I, I enjoy yeah. Vertigo more. Yeah, I'm in that camp, too. Right, uh-huh. but I also... Yeah, but I mean, if you go along that line of yeah. thought, like, I'd rather watch, you know, The Fast and the Furious. <laughs> I would not watch The Fast Not the, the first Furious. one, but one of the later <laughs> ones. First one's fucking awesome. <laughs> I didn't like the first one as much, but one of the later uh, ones. Right, but I, that's <laughs> the one I would sit down and enjoy the most. Um, I mean, you gotta wait it, right? You can't just yeah. say, like, I, this is the movie I personally enjoy <laughs> in a given moment. Like, our best movies don't all need to be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that shouldn't be our criteria, but it can be a factor. Yes, that's the thing, yes. like, sitting down and watching, I'd rather sit down and watch Vertigo than, than Citizen Kane, even though I really like both movies and think they're both masterpieces. Um, so, I don't know, like, which of those two should belong at the top of the list? I'm not sure, and I don't know if it's that important of a question, but it's still something that's talked about a lot. Yeah, I think you're right that it's, like, not super important. I think people, like, if you go to film school, you study this film, and, like, I, I saw this film in high school. We watched it in English class, because... Did you? Yeah, really? we got to see, like, how narrative is constructed, you know? Mm-hmm. My, and My high school did not do that. So I think the reason that it was, like, the number one film for so long was just because... It was the number one film for so long. Because everybody studied yeah. it. Like, that was the movie that you watched to, like, understand how to make films. And yeah. as we were saying earlier, like, 
Spielberg and Lucas studied this film, and you know that's why they're great directors because they know how to like use the techniques that are in this film. So I think that was the reason it's number one film, right? It's because so much just generated off off of it. Yeah. Well, like, it, uh, of course, the the more the popularity is a factor in those lists. Yeah. Because you know you just some of them you just have critics voting and. Therefore, of course, movies that are more widely watched are going to be more greatly represented mm-hmm. on, on those kind of lists. Just by that's how numbers work, right? On the other hand, this is actually an important film, right? Like this, sure. is, this, this is a movie that actually did define a lot of the cinematic language that we use. Yeah, it's a textbook to, film today. Yeah, exactly. So how how well, I, I don't know, Charles, you are coming at this a little bit as <laughs> an an outsider. Like, how important is that? to you or is that just something where you say I don't give a, I don't give a shit about I mean I can appreciate how influential yeah. the movie is for sure I mean that should definitely factor in how highly regarded it is I guess because if if every director and filmmaker these days like has their inspiration kind of drawn to some degree from this movie then that's like extremely important to film yeah. as a medium right yeah and it's getting like, what, what, what is our rubric when we talk about these lists? Because we could use the rubric where it's just like, what movie do I at a given moment enjoy watching most? Which is a drastically different list than the, what is the most important movie yeah. list? Which is, you know, this one that we're talking I think about. Americans are really that. obsessed with this kind of thing, though. It's the same thing with like yeah. Moby Dick, where it's like, Moby Dick is like the American, great American novel, yeah. right? Or um, Gatsby, or Great Gatsby, you know. Americans are really like, we set the tone for this medium and like this is like what's important about it. But I'm sure if you go to Italy, like it would be a Fellini film as a number one film or, you know, you go to Russia, it's, you know, Solaris or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. It's like a very American thing to be like, what's the most number one thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it is. And, <laughs> and of course, it's going to be like an American of document. Course it's an American film, yeah. Right? And I think it's important to say this is the most important American film. Like, I think there are, there are many non-American films that you could point to that defined cinematic. Seven language. Samurai. I mean, Se- Seven yeah. Samurai, um, yeah. Do- Cabinet of Dr. Calgary, yeah. uh, Breathless, right? Like, I think there are many movies at many different points what, in history. What year was Seven Samurai made? That's a good question. I feel it was a similar up. era. It's probably going to like, fuck up the recording. But, okay, but yeah. it was... I think it was a little bit later on. That's a great movie. I really like Seven Samurai. 54. So, okay, so about a years. Similar era. It's a little more than a decade later, but... Yeah. Yeah. It, so, I mean, maybe you'd want to point to, like, Rashomon or something then. So I think that was a little sure. earlier. Sure, But, in any event, yeah, you're right that it's an American thing to say, like, what's the best? The thing we made is the best. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but on the other hand, because we're having that conversation, we still need to understand what we're talking about when we do it, right? Like, it's not responsible to just ignore it. Like, it, it is a part of how we're understanding film, and like, mm-hmm. we can have the actual conversation, we can have the meta conversation, but it still has to happen. I think. Yeah, I think it's. I don't know. Like, it definitely speaks to a different era, where you know. There's. It seemed like there's a lot more investment in media in general in the forties. Like, yeah, I don't know. Like in because now, like if you were to say like, what's the best like American film that's coming out? If you just like look at the box office, it's like Marvel films or something. Yep, <laughs> I got my Black Panther ticket. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. I don't, I don't know. It's like this is just from a different era where you know it's it's mass entertainment, but it seemed to like carry greater weight 
Yeah, well, and, I think it was more... I think there's a nostalgia, like, for that, where there's, like, meaning, like, being created. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, and the rest yeah. is more meaningful than most Marvel movies, obviously. Yeah. Um, and, and also, like, the way people consume film was different, right? Like, you necessarily saw this in the theater. Like, if you saw Citizen Kane, you couldn't just watch it at home because there was no home video, right? Mm-hmm. You had to see it in the theater. And Yeah, now we're, like, post-VHS yeah. era and... The film has like become small and yeah, right. So I, I think yeah. it's easy to television didn't even exist. So yeah, so it, like the film was experienced more often as a communal thing and more often as an event, mm-hmm. right? Like just something big that happened. Um, so it's easy to probably had a lot more reverence to the medium. Yes and no, right? Like I, no. I remember I read an article recently that was interesting to me, where when Psycho came out, uh, you haven't seen Psycho, I don't think. No, not yet. Alfred Hitchcock, much of the advertising had to tell people that. They would only be admitted if they, or that they had to show up when the movie started, right? And this was like in big letters on the poster and the advertising that they had, like that you you need to see this movie from the beginning. You can't just wander into the middle of it and 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 start there. And apparently they did that because there was a culture, in pre cycle and cycle came out you know later on than he thought, where people would just go to the movies, and going to the movies when watching whatever was there you wander in the theater whenever you happen to show up at the theater and you watch and you just keep watching until it runs back around to where you came in that's awful and if where you came in was like the middle of the movie then that's what yeah. happened and you would leave that this is the, you already saw this. the tbs experience of watching <laughs> yes, movies exactly. where it's like imagine if every movie were a christmas story yeah, <laughs> yeah. or the matrix one where you'll just come in in the yeah. middle and be like we oh, okay. watch to here we go the, to where you were <laughs> right, on tnt or apparently TBS. that's that's how what like Many theaters didn't even keep schedules. They wouldn't say, like, we're starting a screening at 2 o'clock and another one at 3.15 and another one at 4.30. Show up. They would just be like, we're showing movies today. Come and watch the movies. <laughs> and, and that was that. That's awful. And so if you're doing that and that becomes, like, a weekly thing, like, the experience of going to the movies is drastically different than the, sp- the experience where we, that we have now where we're buying tickets ahead of time for a specific seat at a specific time. Yeah. And, you know, we have come almost as far away from that as you can. Yeah, I mean, that's why also the newsreel is so important at the beginning of the mm-hmm. film, because it probably faked a bunch of people out that it was like a real <laughs> yeah, that's true. story, yeah. right? Yeah, there so it goes again. It, it would have been really loud in, or, in my version. Yeah, mine too. It was yeah, really same. Loud. It like blasted out. Yeah, and that guy's like yelling at you. And yeah. It was like a classic radio guy voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I yeah. love that voice. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a new. That was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that that is relevant as to like why we're revering Citizen Kane and movies like Citizen Kane, and also just a broad reference for the past. Yeah, it's also a time just like when like everybody saw every movie. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's the reason why people used to think Mash was a good show is because like Mash was a good show. It was one nice. of like <laughs> two things that were on at the time, so like everybody watched it because it was on television. Yeah, like we've spoken this before. At, like, even into the 90s, like, most people only had four channels, and you yeah. just, like, you know, we all saw Friends, because it was one of, like, That's you right. know, a dozen shows that people watched. That's why you Mad know. About You had, like, 12 seasons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Cheers had, like, a jillion season, seasons. Yeah, Cheers was yeah. not bad. <laughs> um, yeah. In any event, yes, I, I think you're right. We consume media differently now than we did then. But I think it's, it's the same with, like, those shows, right, where, like, people, like, revere them if you go back and watch them they're just like solid sitcoms they're pretty boring and like yeah. you know solid like c you know yeah <laughs> yeah I, I like yours more than that i think but yeah maybe not a lot more 
Sure. But like Friends is garbage. Friends, <laughs> total garbage and super racist too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. unwatchable. Yeah, um, but if you go, I'm trying to think of like other shows from that era that were just like totally revered. Like Happy Days, right? Like Happy, Happy Days. Days. Yeah. Happy Days. If you watch Happy Days, it's so like I <laughs> count like how many times like you actually laugh, and <laughs> if it's more than like one in an episode, I'd be impressed. Like, but what about when he says, hey? Yeah. Right? That's funny every time. <laughs> Star Trek, too. Like, the original Star Trek is garbage. Yes. Uh, <laughs> all these shows are terrible. And so, yeah, I, I think we're just, like, reverent for things that are old just because they're old and they were the first things to do these things. And I think Citizens Kane stands out because, like, Parts of film are like actually good. Yeah. Like, well, I, I it's, think it's, it's a good a, film. Actually, a masterpiece. But yes, yeah. I hear your point. But I bet if you watch like, you know, every other film from 1941, I would guess that like 99 percent of them are unwatchable. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So they were just churning them out, right? Like that was when Poverty Row was a thing. That's when B films were a thing, right? Yeah. So they like, didn't give a shit. You, you film a movie in a week. Yes, yeah, yeah. so quali- <laughs> quality is like totally relative to a time context, right? Yeah, and I, the good stuff tends to stand the test of time. And the best Lawrence stuff. Arabia being a great example. Yeah. yeah. One yeah. thing yeah. I'd want to compare is how this movie compares to Casablanca, which only came out like a year after this, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I actually like Casablanca a lot more than this. I film. found Casablanca more yeah. entertaining for sure. Yeah. Uh, I would have to watch it again to really pick at like the filmmaking techniques and how to compare them. Because uh, people don't seem not to regard as, like, it artistic that way. As, yeah. as this film is, or like capital A, like artistic, but it. It's still like much more engaging to me, much more engaging as a film. I did feel like it had like, a more compelling narrative. It's it's very tense film. There. It's like the storytelling is incredible. Yeah, well, it's and, a more intimate film. Yeah, right? like this. This is a, yes, that too. An, an epic movie, right? Like this is a big movie. Yeah. Whereas Casablanca, like, yeah, it's dealing with World War II and it's you know this big sweeping love story, but really it's about two people that are struggling to connect with one another when they really want to, and like the outside world is telling them they can't. And that's something that like everybody can identify with on yeah. some level, right? Yeah. Whereas, I mean, we're not identifying... Also, the, ancil- the ancillary cast of yeah. Casablanca is also, like, really good. Your sec- your secondary and tertiary characters are great actors. You didn't like the, the other reporters and shit in this movie? They're, they're all, like... it's They all just, like, disappear into the film yeah. for me. Because it's hard to tell people apart because they're all wearing the same, like, dark gray suit. <laughs> And they yeah. all speak in, like, 1920s And they guy change voice. their appearance yeah. all the time because they get old. So you're not always sure who's who. Like, one of yeah. the, like, his friend Jed, like, gets a mustache in the retirement home. And so I, like, kind of lost track of which guy he was for a little bit. Yeah, I hear that. And I guess, that, I mean, part of that, I think, is the point where it's, like, people fall away in the wake of Charles Foster Kane, right? But in sure. terms of how it functions as a film, as a cinematic experience... You know, for the average audience member, yeah, I, I get why more people want to sit down and watch Casablanca. I understand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I probably would too, but I still think that this is the better movie. Like, I think that mm-hmm. I don't think that our masterpieces need to, like I said, I don't think they all need to be awesome. I don't think they all need yep. to be these things that are, you know, really grabbing us in a big, obvious way. Um, and it, it's fine if they're not, and it's fine if it's not something that you want to see every day. You know, that's that's okay. Um, anything we haven't touched on or any closing thoughts on, uh, on Citizen Kane, Charles? Um, I think I don't have any more thoughts on it right now. Okay. Well, is this one at least worth watching, like, for the historical context? Definitely. Definitely. Okay, good. Good. So, yeah, 
Yeah, I think that people need to watch this movie. I think that it's one of those movies again. You like, gotta see it at least once. I think. Yeah, in order to be literate in American cinema, you need to you need to watch Citizen Kane, right? <laughs> Not a novel point. Um, but next week, uh, Crossman is up. What do we What do we got on the docket? All right. So next week, I'd like to do Double Indemnity. Um, yeah, I think that's gonna be a blast. I'm looking forward to it. I haven't Hopefully, seen it in, yeah. in a little while. Thank you, everybody, uh, for joining us for Citizen Kane. Join us next week for Double Indemnity.